0: Good morning, good morning then. i try to start all over. I uh, walked into my daughter's house the other day and a four-year-old was sitting there, sitting right in the middle of the room, and he was sitting, you know, and he's holding his hands cross-legged, and I said, Buddy, what are you doing? He said, I'm thinking. I said, Man, what are you thinking about? He said, I don't know. Mama told me to sit here and think about it though. Man, there's a lot of us, right? We're thinking. We just don't know what. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've been in school, and then uh, maybe you didn't have any professors like that. But you need to go home and think about that. I feel kind of like I kind of feel like my grandson sitting there. Uh, The 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 story I'm going to tell you this morning. Since you're all in higher learning education, I didn't develop the idea. Uh, I stole it. Anthony Carbo developed the idea about eight, ten years ago. I happened to be in a class he was teaching. Uh, I've improved it. Don't let any professor tell you that it was their idea. They've improved it. Uh, So it's good to be here. got a picture. Let me share something with you. You're Let me give you a goal to shoot for. I I, I don't own an airplane, don't drive a Ferrari, I don't have uh, a a lot of money in the bank, but I'm a millionaire. Absolutely rich beyond wealth. You're going to be able to show me one of those pictures, and I don't care which one, uh, and I'm going to show you what makes me a millionaire. That makes me a millionaire. Nine with one more on the way. I'm shooting for a dozen, and... um, (laughs) I don't know whether my kids are, that's what makes me a millionaire, is that right there. We have four children, uh, three adopted, we have ten grandchildren almost, and I, I want to tell you something, as you're starting out your career, your life, whatever's going on, shoot for that. Shoot for that, because as I reach the age that I'm approaching, uh, I, I thank God for the, the, the wealth that's in my heart because of family and uh, grandkids. So I share from that perspective. I'm a millionaire because of that. I grew up in a uh, little Nazarene church in Severy, Kansas. I was raised by Pentecostal parents. We went to school to went to church, this little Nazarene church and Mrs. Shepherd taught Sunday school in the basement. And some of you not even have a clue what I'm talking about, but I learned everything I know about the Bible in the basement of Severy Nazarene church on a flannel board. In that musty Nazarene basement and she would tell me the Bible stories on that flannel board and man, I learned about the love of Jesus and David and I just learned so many things there. Uh, there was a disconnect, however, because when I went upstairs Mr. Shepherd was was preaching a little different God. he was preaching about this God that if I walked out of the front door of the church that night and got hit by train, where would I spend eternity? and I never could never could quite Get the conflict of the Jesus who loved me in the basement and the God that was judging me on the first floor, and there was this disconnect, and I was confused by it through most of my uh, teenage and early college years. And it, it, it dawns on me as I have grown in my life that the reason is because we don't move from a located center. We haven't. We have. We're kind of all over the board. That. I had this idea that Jesus loved me that but that God was disappointed with me, and because God was disappointed with me, Jesus had to do this, and God had to reject Jesus and turn his back on him and Well see there's a little problem with that because that would mean there would be division in the Godhead, and I have learned enough to know that that can 't be true. Uh, so this morning, I want to talk to you about the gospel, just real simply one verse. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation. I, I, could, I could put it a little differently and put it in my vernacular. Uh, I'm not ashamed of the good news that Jesus Christ has come. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ that comes to announce the love and the mercy and the grace of the father for it empowers it restores me to live the life that i was created to live there's nothing else that will do that there is nothing else that's going to be offered to you there's no other religious thing there's no other cultural thing there's not yourself it's only the good news that god loves you through jesus christ it's going to empower you to live a complete and total and a life of joy and happiness and peace. And I'm not ashamed of that gospel. So I'm here this morning as a minister of the gospel. I've been ministering for over 40 years and uh, I'm not ashamed to try to present that to you and let you understand that God is like Jesus. That when you see Jesus, you've seen God. That when you see Jesus touching and loving and healing and forgiving, you've just seen the nature of God. Of God, that God is like Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and that He's immutable. He has never changed. He's always been that way. And He always will be that way. That God is love and that it's everlasting love and that those, those things are true and they've always been true. And anytime you read the scriptures, you've got to read it with the understanding that God is like Jesus and that that is the best revelation that we have. But that we have had a lot of people take and twist the story of the gospel. And many times we only, I don't know if it, you're like this, but when I read the scriptures, I always see something new. It's like they put it in there last night. I mean, I read it last week and that wasn't there. And I read it this week and it was there. And, and the only thing that I can uh, explain that by is that God allows me to see something I didn't see, allows me to learn something I didn't know, and that there's so much depth and things to God that I I'm just always, and I'm always amazed. So I, I, want, I want to tell you the story This morning, and I I want you to understand that I grew up understanding a transactional view of God. I I, I grew up understanding a judicial view of God. I grew up, and I may have to, let me see how to. I I grew up with this understanding that um, God, say, God, you got to help me. I'm used to younger crowds. Say, God. God, in His infinite love and wisdom and desire to be in relationship, God created man in His image and likeness. Say, it's important that you get this because it doesn't get much deeper than this. Uh, This is about it. Uh, I taught this to junior hires a couple of weeks ago and they got it. So, God created man man in the image of God and this holy God, right? And, and then man decided that he didn't need God, right? He, he didn't. So he, he went after and thought he could do this his way and he went and ate that apple, right? He didn't, he didn't need to depend on God. And so Adam <laughs> sinned in that he thought he could depend upon himself and didn't have to depend upon the Father and and, and so God, because He's holy and righteous and He can't look upon sin, He turned His back on man. That, that's the gospel I grew up with. And, and then eventually, God sent His Son in the form of a man, okay? God sent His Son in the form of a man. and, and He lived the life that man should live, sinless, spotless, and then He took the sin of man upon Himself, and God became covered with our sin, right, and then God died, and when God died, then man, if he believed that, could be restored into this relationship with God, right? If he didn't believe that and turned away, then God, who can't look upon sin, turned away from him. That, that is a transactional, jurisdictional, it's a very new, 300 years, perception of the Bible. I want to suggest to you that there's a fuller way of looking at this gospel. God, are you here? God starts out the same, created man in His likeness and in His image. Man, in his infinite stupidity, (laughs) turned from God. God. Pursued man. Man went outside the garden, didn't he? And if I had time for you non-Bible scholars, which I bet 99% of you are, you're here studying chemistry and girls. and uh, <laughs> God, when Cain and Abel had their little mess, remember the story of Cain and Abel and Cain kills it? And, and he gets in front of Cain. He says, Cain, what, what have you done? And Cain goes, everybody's going to kill me. And God goes, no, I'm going to put this mark on you and now no one's going to kill you. That's interesting. I'd have killed him. Oh, come on. He he killed Abel. I'd have killed him. Go go read the Bible. It says God said, no, no one's going to touch you. Huh. And then there was this dude named Abraham. And, And he's barking at the moon. He's worshiping the moon. And guess what God did? He was not this. God came out and got in front of Abraham, the dog, moon, worshiping, wow, kind of like Bob Marley, wow, look at the birds. Makes Abraham all these promises and, you know, Abraham's really, he's going to help God out so he goes into Sarah's hand. You you know the story, right? Even though he has these promises of God, he's an idiot. And now he's got Ishmael, who's 13 years old, and he's 99. God doesn't forsake Abraham. He follows Abraham. And he gets back in front of Abraham and he says, Look, dude, (laughs) you're an idiot. (laughs) you really messed up, but I'm going to keep my word to you even though you're... Are you with me? Hmm. Moses. I mean, Moses is going to help God out and he becomes a murderer and he's wandering around out there in the backside of the desert. And guess what God does? God doesn't go, you dummy. No, no, God goes over and shows up as a burning bush and gets in front of Moses. Moses. David, I mean, my Lord, David was a saint compared to Saul. Check it out. David has murdered and messed around, and God gets in front of him and says, No, I still chose you to be king. God eventually becomes man. His name is Jesus. God is like Jesus. And there's a woman. She said, how many husbands? A bunch. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Sleeping with another guy. Avoiding crowds. And here's the funny part. I don't have time to go into it, but (laughs) he was there before she was. Waiting on her. Point being, he got in front of her. Huh. Then there was this dude, he was a tax collector. He colluded with the Romans and he, he learned how to make money under the occupation of the Romans. He was rich and he was wealthy. And Jesus showed up and got in front of him. This is interesting to me. Then there was this woman, and she was an adulterous woman. And Jesus got down in the dust with her and forgave her. Then there was this demon-possessed man. He was sick. He was paralyzed. I could go a hundred ways. The one on the other side of the pond, and he goes over the pond. The one that was paralyzed and his friends, and Jesus gets in front of him and says, your sins are forgiven you. Are you feeling this yet? I could go on and on with these stories. The finale of this is Pilate and the Pharisees and Herod, and they judge this man named Jesus. Jesus. And they sentence him to death. And you have to understand that the real issue of the sin of man was death. The relationship was broken. You sang about it in two songs tonight. Death. It wasn't about the morality. It wasn't just a jurisdictional issue. It was a relational issue. Because man, when he turned from God, had died. And he had entered into death. Jesus comes and stands in front of those that would judge. And while they were judging him, what did he say? Did he retaliate? Did He revile? Did He go, this is unfair? Did He slap them in the face? Did He spit back? No, love died and entered into death. And The Bible tells us that there is no place that God is not. The Bible says, though you ascend or you descend into hell, God is there. And God entered into our death, and He was resurrected. And He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever whoever hears my voice is resurrected with me, and God restores us into right relationship, not because we've earned it or we've deserved it, but because God is always chasing after us, getting in front of us, that there is no place that you can go, Sterling College, that my God, Jesus, won't find you and make himself known to you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. I would suggest to you that that is a fuller teaching than that. I would suggest to you that, yes, there is a jurisdictional, transactional guilt, but there is a relational reality to God that keeps coming until He's in front of you. His love will never give up on you. He'll never stop coming for you. This is a fuller. In fact, it's a much older, and any Bible scholar that liked to argue with me, this is a much older, patristic understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was that continual pursuit of me that revealed how much God loved me. It was that continual hound that came for me that began to really realize just how deeply He loved me, just how committed He is to me. Yes, as a child, I understood. But as I've grown in my faith, every time I'm... He just... Shows up, and there he is in my darkness, in the silence, in my own sin, in my own failures, in my own trauma, in my own woundedness. Not because he has to. And I have a choice at this moment to return that white hot love with love or to remain bitter and angry and hateful. But it's not Him turning His back on me. Hmm. I was 17 years old and I was raised in a very interesting home. In and out of the home because of difficulties in the home. And they didn't go away. It was hard. My story is not about that. It's just a confession of that. And at 17 years old, I ran away. I was going to join the Marines 1974. I was going to join the Marines. I drove from little place in Kansas to Buford, South Carolina. I had a cousin there. He had joined the Marines a few years before, and I drove my Chevy Vega. That was hell. And I got down there about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning one morning. I was tired, and I got on a couch, and I went to sleep. And um, you ever wake up? And you're kind of in that daze and you can hear a voice and you think, I know that voice. Can't quite make it out. You see, I didn't learn this out of a theological institution. I didn't learn it because I saw somebody. I I learned it at 17 years old. It just took me 20 years to understand it. And I heard this voice. I remember sitting up on the side of that couch like it was yesterday. And I knew he walked in the room. I couldn't look at him. And he took a chair, much like this one. And he sat down. He reached out and laid his hands on my legs. And we sat there. I cried. Finally, I broke the silence. I said, Daddy, are you going to say something? He said, I'm here, son. I'm here. Doesn't that say at all? I wish I could tell you that when we went home, everything got better. It didn't. But I never doubted that there was this representative of God in my life that would never leave me alone. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, nor will I let anybody water it down. About two years ago, my youngest son, they lost a child. And I would go over to he and my daughter-in-law's home. And I'd sit beside him. There was nothing to say. And I'd sit there. Night after night, week after week, month after month. Months go by. And we'd sit there and cry. Daddy, you have to have answers. I have no answers. And I went home one night, about midnight, got down in my little basement, and I sat down in a chair, and I'm angry because I don't have answers for my son. And I felt him walk in the room. And he sat down. And he reached out. And he put his hands on me. And he said, son, I'm with you. The grief didn't go away quickly for our family. But can I tell you something? He's with us. I don't know any of you, but you're going to have moments. I'm not going to be able to explain them to you. Your professors are not going to explain them to you. Your house parents are not going to explain them to you. But the gospel says that if he would follow us into death, he'll follow us into life. And that no matter how hard life gets, he's there. Sterling College, your year has started. You're going to have tough times, but he'll follow you into it. He may not say anything, that doesn't mean he's not there. In fact, I've grown to appreciate the silence as much as I appreciate the sound. gospel according to chairs. You tell me what you think. Did this happen? Psalm chapter 22 says God never turned His back on. I like this story better. You didn't think I could do it. (laughs) Not bad for 60 plus. I'm still playing with it, but he was in a whale. Guess who I think was in the whale before he got there? They got thrown into a fiery furnace. Guess who I think was there before they ever got thrown into the fiery furnace? Guess what I think God has always been like and always will be like blessings go to glass